Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 10th of October 2010. This service is the baptism of David Harewood, and the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 24 verses 36 to 47. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Open your Bibles for our scripture reading this evening. David, I'm going to ask you to come right over here now. I'm going to be talking to you about some of these things, and if they want to listen in, they can, all right? (laughs) I want to share with you, first of all, a passage of Scripture that we find in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. We find Jesus speaking to at least 10 of his apostles here just before that he's preparing to leave this earth and go back to heaven. Beginning in Luke chapter 24 and verse 36, I invite you to stand with me to on the reading of God's Word, which says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. He said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. When he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Father, we thank you again this evening for this time that we can have together. Lord, we thank you for David, and we pray, Lord, that this evening would be a special blessing to his life. Lord, as he follows you in obedience, makes this public profession of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that your hand of blessing would be upon him. We pray for these next few moments as we look into the Word of God, Lord, that you would take it and speak to the hearts of each one that are here this evening. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, the Bible says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You know, it's impossible for someone that knows the Lord Jesus Christ. It's impossible for anyone that knows the gospel for those truths to be hidden from them. Once anyone truly, genuinely comes to see and recognize Jesus Christ and what he's done for them, then they will but believe. But the Bible says if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, and there's a reason for that. Notice it says, in whom the God of this world. Who is the God of this world? 
We've got all kinds of names for him, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. If the gospel is hid, it's only hid to them that are lost. And it's the God of this world that is blinding the mind, not the eyes, but blinding the mind for fear that they might see the light of the image of God, which is in the Lord Jesus Christ, shining to them. The apostle then says, and this is what is on our sign out front and on our stationery, says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded it's actually a passage of Scripture that we often read at baptismal services, but it actually reminds me very much personally of David when we first met, the questions that he had. If you'd like to turn with me to book of Acts chapter 8, we find that the Scriptures give us an account here of Philip and the Ethiopian. And of course, the Philip that we believe that is being spoken of here is Philip that would have been a deacon in the church at Jerusalem. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, join thyself to his chariot. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I except some man should guide me? He desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? 
Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. I can still remember when David came to the church the first time. Two friends brought him. David had been searching for some time, maybe just like this Ethiopian here in this passage of Scripture. He had been to lots of different types of churches and different religions and all these things because something had happened in his heart that he believed that there was a God out there, and he wanted to be right with that God. You know, the first thing that David asked me when he came was not how to become a Christian, was could he be baptized? He wanted to know if he could be baptized. The reason being that in his thinking, that would make him a Christian and make him okay with God. And of course, that was quite some months ago now. Took the time to explain to David then, and then we've had a couple of meetings and gone through the Scriptures and tried to make sure that he had a clear understanding that just as we find here, when the Ethiopian asked, what does hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said to him, well, first of all, there's something you've got to do. You've got to believe with all your heart on that one called Jesus. And so we find that up until that point, the gospel had been hid to David, just as we read there that Paul was writing to the church of Corinth. Because the God of this world had his mind blinded. There was a light that began to shine, and he began to realize and understand that there was something missing in his life. I think that generally that David seems to be a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. He likes to have a laugh. He likes to smile. But he knew that there was something that was missing. And he knew that his relationship with God was not all that it should be. He'd looked at the Christians and the Muslims and the different things in search and trying to find that. But the gospel had been hid to him up at that point. But David came here, and I thank God that he did. I thank God that his friends brought him here. The simple truth is, is that that passage that we read earlier in the Gospel of Luke, we find that there was a reason. There was a reason as Jesus spoke to his apostles there. If you notice there in verse 46, it says, Jesus said unto them, thus it is written. Notice those next four words, and thus it behooved Christ. Thus it behooved Christ. Why? Because God already had a plan. That plan had been written. It had been prophesied. Jesus had already told them a few verses up that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. The Scriptures had already foretold hundreds of years before he came in precise detail how he would come and where he would come and the kind of punishment that he would go through. We find that 
he's talking to his apostles, and he says, those things, everything that God planned, why? Because God had a plan that one day would not only give this Ethiopian the opportunity to be saved from his sins, but some 2,000 years later would give young David that same opportunity to put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God had a plan. Jesus said, I'm the one that's here to fulfill that plan. And thus it behooved. We might say today, folks, this was what he had to do. Matter of fact, the simple thought that I want to share with you tonight is the must of the gospel. The must of the gospel. You see, David was in search for truth. David was in search for how that he could have some kind of a relationship that he could know the God that had created and put him here. And he had searched and he had looked but his mind was still hid to the gospel because religion will not give you a relationship. You've heard me say before, other writers have said it, it's been around for many years. Religion. Religion is man trying to reach up to God. And there's plenty of that around. But folks, true Christianity is God reaching down to man. That's the difference. God was reaching down to young David. I do not believe for an instant that it was an accident that he turned up at Bethel Free Baptist Church. I don't think it was an accident or a coincidence that his young friends that had been, whoa, 15, 20 years since they'd been in the Sunday school here, they remember where the church was at. <laughs> when David was searching, they said, we know a church will take you to. I don't think that was coincidence. Because you see, just as the Bible says, there was this must of the gospel that Christ had to suffer. He had to die on that cross. There was no other way. And he had to rise the third day. But it's not only here, but you can find it in other places. It doesn't stop there. There's not even a full stop in your Bible. The sentence carries on. It says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. The simple truth is there was absolutely no other way that anybody could ever have a relationship with God the Creator except that Jesus Christ went and died on that cross and paid for their sins. God wants that relationship. We find that there was a very, very educated man that went to Jesus himself one day. His name was Nicodemus. The Bible says in John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. David, you had to come and recognize that you could be baptized as many times as you wanted in as many churches as you wanted to. 
You could be baptized so many times that your clothes never had a chance to dry out. Back where I come from in North Carolina, a lot of people are still baptized out in the creeks and the rivers outdoors. Some of the old preachers said you could be baptized to, you know, every tadpole in there by name, still not be a Christian. You see, you were in search, and you knew that baptism had something to do for it, but it was the gospel that was being hid from your mind. The same thing that was said to Nicodemus, Jesus said. People sometimes today, they make light, they make fun of all those born-again Christians. Folks, we didn't make up the term. The Bible says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's no other way to heaven except to be born again. There's no other way that a person can be a part of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, you see him kind of scratching his head, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter in the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There's two births. You've got to go through the first one. Many people have tried to figure out, what does he mean being born of water? Well, if you're sitting here tonight, you were born of water, folks. <laughs> you were in that womb of your mother. And you were there secure until that day that it was time for you to come forth. But just that physical birth, that alone is not sufficient to get into the kingdom of God. He says you must be born of water and of the Spirit. Notice what he says in the next verse. Just another way of saying it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He says there's got to be two births. You've got to be born of the water. You've got to be born of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The second birth. We find that Jesus said, Marvel not that I said unto thee. You must be born again. Nicodemus, Nicodemus, don't, don't think that this is something that's impossible. I'm explaining to you, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound. The wind blows wherever it wants to. You can hear it. But you can't tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. You can't see it, but you can feel its effects. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Nicodemus, you're one of the most educated. You're one of the rulers. You're telling me that you're one of the most educated men in this country and yet you don't understand these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. This wasn't the first time Nicodemus, obviously, had seen Jesus and his apostles before. He says, you've witnessed it. You've seen what God's been doing, but you haven't done anything about it. You haven't received that witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, there's that word again, must the Son of Man be lifted up. Folks, Jesus had to die on the cross. Why did he have to die on the cross? Well, he says here in verse 15 that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Most people don't like to be called evil. They certainly don't like to see themselves as evil. The Bible says basically, you know, Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody. He came that you might be saved. You will condemn yourself by not believing Him, by not accepting Him. By not receiving him, he came to save you. He's the light. But when you see that light, when you hear the truth, if you choose to reject it and choose to remain in darkness instead, then that's your condemnation. It's not God, it's not Jesus that's condemned you. You've condemned yourself because of your unbelief. The must of the gospel. You see, the first must of the gospel was death. <laughs> the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to die. We know the Scriptures so very clear, and these are some of the Scriptures that David and I have gone through personally, one-on-one -on -one together. When I took the Word of God and I tried to, to show him very simply, first of all, why that baptism was not going to do what he wanted to have done. He wanted to have a relationship with God. He wanted to know that he was going to go to heaven one day. He wanted to know that he was one that God would be pleased to take with him for all of eternity. I shared this passage of Scripture with David in Romans chapter 3. It certainly would be familiar to most here at Bethel. Romans chapter 3 verse 9 says, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. But we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way and they are together become unprofitable, and there is none that doeth good. No, not one. 
their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. God's law shows us our sin, but God's law cannot save us because not a one of us have ever and never will be able to live up to it. But that's the requirement. Why? Because it's only one sin. He tells us later in this same book, we looked at that passage this morning, the wages of sin is what? Death. You see, the must of the gospel is first of all death. Because each and every one of us, no one left out because of our sin, not because of what God has done, because of what we have done. The wages of that sin is death. That's the result of sin. But the gift of God, we talked about those gifts this morning. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The first thing that David had to come and realize is the reason that he did not have a relationship with God was because of his sin. Jesus had to die on the cross. But he didn't have to die there for his sin because he was the sinless one. He died there for your sin, David. He paid that price so that you wouldn't have to. Without the shedding of blood, no remission of sin. It took the blood of Christ. It took the death of our Savior on the cross. I'm glad that chapter 3 didn't stop there. <laughs> it goes on. And he says, but now. But. <laughs> there wasn't much hope before that but. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith, in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Jesus Christ, he died. He died. He had to die because somebody had to die for your sins. But he took every one of your sins upon himself. I don't know how many of you noticed the little poem that started on the back of your bulletin this morning. That one man died with guilt in him and on him. A second man died with guilt in him but not on him. The third man died with guilt 
on him, but not in him. Speaking of the three, as Jesus crucified there between the two thieves, you see, David came to realize the must of the gospel. Baptism was no good without the gospel. Just like that Ethiopian was told. What hinders him from being baptized? Well, baptism is only for those that are already saved. It doesn't get you saved. It won't make you saved. You see, it's kind of hard for us sometimes because our name Baptist, because we place such importance upon baptism. That's why people started calling us that back years ago. But yet, not in baptismal regeneration. Baptism is the first step of obedience that a Christian makes in his Christian life. You see, baptism won't save you. The Bible teaches us, for by grace are you saved through faith. You put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will save you. We talked about the repentance that we just read about here. But you know what? I don't believe you can ever really be a happy Christian. I don't believe that you can ever truly have that peace. As a matter of fact, we feel so strongly about it as a Baptist church that you can't even be a member of our church until you've been saved and baptized. Because if you're not willing to follow the Lord in that first step of obedience, to make a public profession of faith before the whole world, to sing as, as we sang that song earlier, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's what you're doing here tonight, David. This isn't making you more of a Christian. This isn't getting you to heaven. It's your step of obedience. Jesus Christ himself set the example when he let John baptize him. And the truth is, he's commanded of each and every one of us. Once we put our faith and trust in Christ, our next step should be to follow him in believer's baptism, to make that public profession to the whole world that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're not willing to be obedient in that, there's no way that you can be part of a fellowship and be in fellowship with other Christians and God himself if you're not willing to do that. Of course, there was never any hesitancy on David's part to be baptized. As a matter of fact, when we began to talk and he saw the must of the gospel that he'd been blinded to, the necessity the necessity of the death, and we could look at so many things there, but we don't have time. The must of the gospel is not only the death, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the must of the gospel is a birth, a new birth that we read about with Nicodemus. There's no other way. He said, unless you're born again, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. It's a must of the gospel. And one third thing that's a must of the gospel. You see, one of the greatest privileges that you'll have in this world now, David, is the same privilege that I had with you right up there in that office. That privilege of being able to take God's word with your friends and with your family. Because you see, it doesn't really matter. And folks, listen, I am not in any way, there is nothing more important than the death, burial, and the resurrection. That's the only thing that saves anybody. But understand what I'm saying. It doesn't matter that Jesus died on the cross. It doesn't matter that he rose the third day for us. 
It doesn't matter that salvation is there because the Bible says, well, how can they hear without a preacher? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is our only avenue to God's grace that we might be saved. And this is what we discussed up there, that you first of all recognize why you're a sinner and you recognize what Jesus Christ did for those sins, that he died on the cross. And that great funny word that we don't use a whole lot these days there a while ago when it talked about him being a propitiation, that is a great word. A lot of the Bibles have taken it out because they think people don't understand it. But the problem is the words they put in don't mean the same thing. You see, when Jesus Christ was a propitiation for your sins, the God Almighty, it means everything, everything that was required of God, anything and everything. It was all met in Jesus Christ. There was nothing left out. He met every need that was there, that your sins could be forgiven. And of course, I explained to David there what this word repentance was all about. That repentance means turning your back on your sin. You turn away from it. You see, every one of us is going a direction with our lives. But repentance is turning around and going a different direction. You can't follow Jesus and follow the world. You've got to go one direction or the other. We're still in the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus Christ came into the world. He's the light of this world, but everybody has the opportunity. You see, one of the greatest privileges a Christian ever has is that they can share Jesus Christ with someone else because that's the only way they're going to know is through God's Word, taking that Bible and showing somebody else, look, you're a sinner. The wages of that is death, but God has done everything. He planned it. That's why Jesus had to come, and he had to fulfill all those things. It all happened just like God said it was because that was God's plan all along. And he did die so that you could be born again, so that you could experience that new birth, and then so that you could go out and tell somebody else, Brother Rick, share that same truth so that somebody else can know. Why? Because the God of this world has got their blinds minded. They might be making light of it. They might be making fun of it. And I can promise you this, David, a lot of your friends will not understand you wanting to be a Christian. Everybody's not going to jump up and be happy and glad if they're still trying to follow the way of the world and you're trying to follow Jesus. It's not going to always work. It's not going to always exactly mesh together very well. And so the truth is, is that you know, some people aren't going to understand. That's why you have to be determined. As we sang a while ago, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, why? Because it's worth it. It's worth it. And do you know what? Every friend and every family member that you have that doesn't know that same peace that you do in your heart because of their sins being forgiven, they're in darkness right now. But that light can shine through you. They can see Jesus through you, through your life. But they can only see him if you're following him, if you're living for him. They can't see Jesus in your life if you're out here still following and living like the world. It's not a reformation. It's not a remodeling. It's not a turning over a new leaf. 
It's not changing a few things. You're a new creation. It's a totally different birth. And the truth is, is that one of the great must of the Gospels, not only that Jesus Christ did all that he did, it all begins with him, and God had it all planned, and we've seen that. We can look at so many things there. But I wanted to remind you this evening, and I want to remind everyone here, that you're about to follow the Lord through these waters of baptism because that you repented of your sins. You prayed and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to take control of your life. You asked God to forgive you of your sins because of what Jesus had done for you. And I was there when you prayed that prayer. It was a simple and beautiful prayer because it came from your heart. Well, some say, you know, he even asked God to forgive him from going down to that mosque, amen, because <laughs> he knew that was wrong. And amen, that's what it's all about. You know, prayers aren't about flowery words. Prayers are about opening our heart with God. And the truth is, is that if he follows the Lord here in believers' baptism to see me, that's another step. But I want you to really grasp and understand that the must of the gospel, just as much as it was Jesus dying upon the cross, and in turn you dying because you were facing death for eternity, but in fact, what you've done is now you've died to that old self, that old man. You've become a new man in Christ by a new birth. That's a must. That's the only way. But another must of the gospel is just as you go through these waters of baptism here tonight and you say before the world that I'm now a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a must. It's a must that you're a witness of these things. It's a must. It's a must because those around you will never know the truth if they don't see it in you. And it's not going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to take some strength that you don't have yourself. But let them see that you are not the same person. You go around saying, I'm a Christian and I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the same old person you were. Well, what difference does it make anyway then? If you've experienced a new birth, you're a new creation. Your life has changed. You'll be happier. You'll have greater peace. And probably more problems than you've ever had in your life. <laughs> problems don't go away. Troubles don't go away. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. You don't live like Jesus Christ around people and then feel good about it. Why? Because that's the light. They want to stay in darkness. They don't want their evil ways, their sin to be shown forth. They want it to stay hid. The problem is if the light of Christ is shining through you, it's going to shine upon them. They're going to see that. But that's a must. That's a must. That's why we're here. People have to see Jesus in our lives. It's important. If, if, if there's anything in all this world that's important for you from here until the day you leave this world, is that Jesus Christ be seen through you. There's nothing that can happen to you that's more important than that that Jesus Christ be seen in the way you talk, in the way you act, in the way you live. And as a follower of him, that's a must if your Christian life is going to make any difference. I scared David to death when I told him about his testimony this morning. <laughs> we talked about it before that he needed to make a public profession. I told him I was going to do something for him this evening because I wanted to help him because I know you're a pretty scary-looking lot sitting out there. And he's got to sit here and, and, and face all of you all. David, come here and stand with me.
We've talked tonight as we've looked through the scriptures with all these people that are, that are out here in front of us now. I want to ask you a very, very simple question. When we went through those scriptures, yeah. did you fully understand what it was, yeah. the sin in your life yeah, that was separating you from your God? Yeah. And what did you want to do with that sin? You wanted to get rid of it, didn't yeah, you? Get it away. Yeah. Do you believe that the only way that that sin could be gotten rid of was through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Yeah, definitely. When you prayed up there and asked God to forgive you of your sins, did you mean that with all your heart? Yeah, yeah. Do you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ, He is the Son of God? Yeah. Definitely. That He died and rose again the third day so that you could be saved? Yeah. Do you want to follow Him yeah. the rest all of your the life? All the way. Even to heaven and eternity yeah, one day. All the way. All Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I believe it means that from his heart, folks. And the thing is that uh, now just like Philip and the Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch went down into the water, he and I are going to go down into the water. Panos, might be good if you pull the heaters out of there for us, please. We don't want to burn our toes when we go in. I told him to leave the men to the last minute because uh, I didn't want the water getting cold. Um, but... David, as you come to follow the Lord in, in believers' baptism this evening, do you understand that it's the faith that you put in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work that saved you, that what you're doing here this evening, that you're publicly before the whole world. The Bible says it's better not to make a vow than to make one and break it. But God has commanded you that if you truly have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, because you see, this is one of two ordinances of the church that he's given. And, and the simple truth is, is there's a picture. When you and I walk into that water, you're going to be standing up in that water. And you know what? I'm going to bury you right down in that water. And you're going to raise up in newness of life. You see, it's a symbol. It's the picture. That's what an ordinance is all about. That's like the Lord's Supper. The, the bread is symbolic of the body of Christ and the, the cup is symbolic of his blood. When we go into those waters of baptism, it's a picture of the death burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do that here this evening, are you boldly proclaiming before all these people that you know that you're saved yeah, and that you want the whole world to know yeah. that you're going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Amen. All right, all right, we're going to go into the water. Mm -hmm. 